Amen. In Ephesians 3.18, Paul prays that the believers in Ephesus may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul prayed that believers would know how much Christ loved them. Though he hastened to add that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. In other words, we're never going to be able to fully plumb its depths, fully comprehend, but yet Paul wanted, and obviously God wanted, believers to grasp something of the magnitude of God's love for them in Christ. And so let us ask ourselves, why did Paul pray this? And again, why did God inspire Paul to write this and pray this way? Why pray that believers would know how much God loves them? Well, I hope you can see, it, it, even if we don't know all the specific reasons, we can at least agree it must be foundational to the Christian life, right? It must be very important for Christians to know and understand and even feel how much God loves us because it is foundational to our relationship with God. Again, let's think big picture. We are saved to know God. We are saved to enjoy God forever. But a small view of God's love is going to really hinder us doing that, isn't it? Right? If we're saved to know God and to enjoy Him, but then if we think that God is angry with us half the time, or if we think that God merely tolerates us, well, then we're not going to draw near to Him. If we think God kind of grits his teeth and holds his nose while forgiving us and blessing us, right? Like, yeah, he's supposed to do it. He doesn't really like us, you know, but he kind of, okay, yeah. If that's our view of God, then again, we will not draw near to him. We will not enjoy him as we've been saved to do. And, and then he won't get the glory. And we won't get the joy. But, loved ones... If we understand the biblical truth that God freely loves us with a pure, steadfast love, the same love, the Bible says, that he has for his own son, that we're swept into that same love in our union with Christ. If we come to understand that, if we come to understand by God's grace that he delights in us, that his love for us will never wane, then we will feel secure to come to God again and again with our praise, with our confession, with our, with our thanksgiving, with our needs, with our failures. But we'll, we, we will come again and again because we know that He loves us and that He wants us to come. So grasping the enormity of God's love for us will draw us into closer fellowship with God. We will trust God. We will be attracted to God. We will rest securely in our relationship with God. 
we, we often say, and, and rightfully so, right, the, the, the sum of the commands is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so in, in many ways we could say that's our Christian duty, right? But don't you see that that duty flows out of God's love for us. Our love for God and our love for others flows out of God's love for us. We are not, we're never told to try to drum up love on our own. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is the Spirit, as we'll see here in Romans 5 this morning, pouring God's love into us, reminding us again and again, God loves you. Look at what he's done for you. And in, in, in abiding in that love, then out of that will flow our love for God and for others. Our love for God and love for neighbor comes from us drinking deeply from God's love for us. So I say all that by, don't you, don't you see, no wonder Paul prayed that all believers would know how much God loves them in Christ. And my goal today, even though I confess as we were singing these songs, I was kind of like, what have I gotten myself into today? Seriously. My goal today is for us to consider God's love for us, which is a joy for me to do. And, and I, I pray it will be a, God will use it in your lives. But, but I'm, I'm like, this is, this is like trying to measure the ocean, like the songs say. Right? So we're only going to scratch the surface today. And, and as I was thinking about that and starting to... Uh, travel into a little bit of hopelessness and despair this morning. Um, of course, we're reminded of the, it's the Holy Spirit taking his word, doing his work, but I was also reminded, you know, this, unless Christ comes back, this is not a one-shot deal, right? I mean, I want God's love for us to be, it's going to be on the pages of Scripture everywhere, right? And so we'll seek to emphasize it all the time. But next week we're going to start, Lord willing, a series through the book of First Peter, so I had another week to just kind of preach on whatever God was teaching me. And this was the topic I chose. God's love for us. So please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I've been praying this week that prayer of Paul's. That God will help us through the preaching of his word. God will enable us to grasp something of the magnitude of his love for us in Christ. For his glory and for our joy and peace. I'll begin reading in verse 1 to get the context. But our main text this morning will be verses 6 through 8. I'd ask the congregation to stand once again for the reading of God's word. Please. Let's hear God's word together, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one 
would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. The title of the sermon this morning is God's Love for Us in Christ. God's love for us in Christ. Romans 5 is addressed to believers. It's addressed to people who by God's grace were united to Christ through faith. God through the pen of the Apostle Paul wants these believers to feel secure in their relationship with God. So Paul is pointing them to God's great love for them. And really the the key verse that we're honing in on today is verse 8 that says, God shows his love for us. Maybe you've memorized it like I did. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see what that verse is saying? That Christ dying for us on the cross is the supreme demonstration of God's love for us. So in other words, if you were to say, ever question in your mind, which you probably will, because it's certainly one of the attacks of the evil one, does God really love you? The first place you should go is the cross. Yes, I know that God loves me. He has demonstrated it. He has shown it. By giving up his son to die for me on the cross. John 3.16, again, probably the most famous verse, right? Uh, As far as among the general public. Says the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? Gave meaning gave him up to die in our place on the cross. So you see it's saying, God so loved the world, how do we know he loved the world? How did he show he loved the world? By giving his son to to live and die in the place of sinners. Christ dying for us is the supreme demonstration of God's love for us. Now there are other examples of God's love for us, no doubt. But the ultimate demonstration, the ultimate proof that God loves us is seen in the historical fact In the historical reality that Christ died for us on the cross. Therefore, as we think about growing in in, in our understanding of God's love for us, God will grow us in grasping the magnitude of his love by meditating on, and by that of course I mean by thinking on, prayerfully thinking on and chewing on, The simple yet profound truth that Christ died for us. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying there? If we want to grow, and again, Paul prayed it, right? This is a work of God in us. But God's going to grow us in our grasping how much he loves us by us meditating on the fact that Christ died for us. Because that's the supreme demonstration of God's love for us. I think that makes sense. Right? And I I think that's what the Bible teaches Right? We, we, behold, we become like Christ as we behold his glory, 2 Corinthians says. And what better way to behold his glory by looking at Christ and thinking, you gave yourself up for me. That's how holy your love is. That's how otherworldly your love is. 
distinct. One of the things God's been teaching me the last couple of years, and, and, and again, <laughs> I'm a slow learner. And so it comes again and again by, by God's love, <laughs> you know, that he doesn't just give up and move on. Is my view of God is way too small. And what happens, and I read this in a book and I was like, yeah, you're right, that's what I do. Right? And maybe that's what, this is what you do. We think God is like us. Right? We think he loves like we do. Like I said, kind of holding our nose sometimes. Right? Kind of doing it just out of an obligation, a duty kind of thing. But loved ones, God is holy. He is completely other. We are made in his image. But he is not like us, praise God. He's unique. So, again, again back, we're, we want to focus in on this phrase, Christ died for us in order to grow in our understanding of the magnitude of God's love for us. So what I did this week was I just really tried to meditate on that phrase, Christ died for us. I, wanted to pr- I tried to prayerfully And this is what I want us to do this morning. Prayerfully consider this amazing news, right? This is news. This is is a fact. This happened. Christ died for us. And again, even that, right? You know, this is holy ground. You know, how do you, again, it's simple. I don't want to obscure it, but how do you go about expounding on that? Well, here's the way I did it. There's many ways we could. I just broke the statement up. Christ died for us. I broke it into its three parts. Person, or you could say subject, but I'm going to choose to say person. Action and recipients. Okay? Christ died for us. The person is Christ. The action is died. The recipients is for us. I'm not trying to be in English class today because I know there's, I'm not using those terms. But this, this was helping me to just meditate on it. So I I want to spend the remainder of our time considering those three parts. So let's begin with number one, person. Christ. Christ is the person. Christ died for us. It's Christ who died. Well, who is Christ? This is Jesus, the Christ. This is Jesus, the Christ, the God-man. Fully man, fully God. Truly man, truly God. This is the eternal Son of God who took on a human nature in order to lay down his life for us on the cross. And so again, as we think about a sacrifice, as substitutionary sacrifice, dying for us, we would be moved by any kind of, any person's sacrifice, right? We're, we're moved by that when we hear about it in real life, even when we see it in movies, you know, someone laying down their life for another But let us remember, we're talking about Jesus, the God-man. And let us remember that Jesus was a sinless man. He did not have an evil bone in his body. Jesus was the embodiment of love and grace and truth and kindness and mercy and compassion. And yet he is the one 
who died as a sacrifice for sin. He was completely innocent and pure. We read, it. We read the account, right? He, Jesus in no way deserved to be treated the way he was by the authorities, by the onlookers. He was treated like he was a criminal. He was treated like he was a, a, a blasphemer. He was treated like he was a sinner. And all of those things are not true. But Jesus endured it all, willingly, scorning the shame, Hebrews says, out of obedience to his Father and out of his love for us. Christ, the God-man, the Son of God made flesh, died for us. Usually we think of the lower rank giving their life to preserve the higher rank. And what I mean by that is the example that came to my mind would be like a, the secret service man, right? The secret service man is to take a bullet in order to save the president because the president is a higher rank. So in that situation, he's deemed more valuable. But with Jesus, it was the opposite, wasn't it? He is the highest rank of all. And yet he willingly laid down his life in order to save people like you and me. And then think of the Father's love. He gave his one and only Son, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave (laughs) as a gift As the most precious gift, he gave his only son. He gave his son whom he had always enjoyed perfect, unhindered fellowship with. He gave his only son whom he delighted in, knowing what this was going to involve. That it was going to involve him cursing his son. It was going to involve him forsaking and abandoning his son. Yet he gave as a demonstration of his love for you and me who are in Christ. Christ died for our sins. So the person is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God made flesh, the God man. Part two action. He died. Again, such a simple statement, right? Christ died for our sins. And the Bible doesn't try to be like, um, what's the word I want to say? Graphic, it doesn't try to, you know, embellish. You know, I mean, it just says, hey, he was scourged, right? And we've all talked about what that involved, right? And crucified. and that. I mean, it just, the Bible focuses more on what Christ's death accomplished, And so I want to respect that, but also in meditating on this, what did this, what did this mean? Lest we familiarity breed contempt and we just kind of gloss over it. Christ died for our sins. The God-man died in order to save us. What did that involve? Well, first it meant he became a man, right? 
So right there is a huge demonstration of love for Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who dwelt in the glories of heaven, who all he ever enjoyed and experienced was perfect fellowship, perfect worship, perfect environment, no, no limitations, no chaos, no nothing evil whatsoever. He left all of that willingly to step into, to enter into this world and even taking on a human nature in great humility, Philippians 2 says. So his love, his love was driving all of that choice. Almighty God willingly humbled himself to experience hunger and thirst and dirty diapers and fatigue and scraped knees and temptations to sin. Though he was sovereign of the universe, he submitted to parents and teachers. Though he was the living word, he learned and memorized the word of God. And then at the appointed time, at 33 years of age, right? So, I mean, this was not just some short little dip-your-toe-in experience of humanity. 33 years, then Jesus died for our sins. And again, this was not a quick Or private death. As we read earlier, Jesus, the Son of God, was humiliated and tortured. He was falsely accused and mocked and beaten and spit upon and flogged to the brink of death. He was paraded publicly carrying his object of torture and execution. He was stripped of, likely stripped completely of his clothes and hung up publicly for people to ridicule and stare and gloat over. Right? Read Psalm 22 sometime, and Jesus is thinking about that, right? When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For hours he endured the physical torture of crucifixion, pressing against nails in his hands and feet and shredded back, rubbing against the cross just to fight for every breath. His joints being pulled out of socket, his body weight hanging on pierced nerves and muscles, lungs filling up, and again, just having to fight to breathe. During all of that torture, he's continually being ridiculed and taunted to come down from the cross. Can you imagine? Everything in your humanity, right, is saying, I don't like this. Uh, this, this hurts. I could come down. Right? I could just kind of melt all you guys who are mocking me, saying I'm not who I am. Yet Jesus took it all in order to save you and me. And in that phrase, we we must not miss, Christ died for us. Yes, that involves physical torture. Yes, that involves physical death. But we must not miss the most significant thing in that phrase. That it involved, it meant Jesus being forsaken by his Father. And again, this is what's so hard for us to even get our minds around, right? Jesus had to become sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Though he was sinless, he took our sins upon himself and bore his Father's wrath that we deserved. 
And during those last three hours on the cross, when it's the middle of the day and it turns night, right, Jesus was bearing the holy, unmitigated wrath of God against sin. Jesus, who had from eternity past enjoyed a perfect, loving, intimate relationship with his Father, was instead cut off and forsaken by his Father. So instead of love, Jesus experienced holy anger. Instead of intimacy, Jesus experienced abandonment. Instead of blessing, Jesus was being cursed by God the Father. Instead of the joys of heaven that Jesus had known so well, he was experiencing the worst parts of hell there on the cross. And I say all that to say, behold the love of Christ. Behold the love of Christ for sinners like you and me. I was reminded of the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Because Jesus did all of this willingly. He gave himself up willingly. He said, leading in the days before the cross, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus did this out of love, out of obedience to the Father, desire to see the Father glorified, and out of love for you and me. Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room on the night he would be arrested, John 15, 12, love one another as I have loved you, verse 13, greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. He's saying, that's what I'm doing for you now. I can't show you any greater love than I am right now, than I'm about to show. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And that's what he did for us. Jesus did not just die for a cause or out of a general benevolence for a nameless mass of humanity. Right? Lest we not just think that. Galatians 2.20, please write that verse down. It's, and I'm just quoting the last half of it. The life I now live in the flesh, the Apostle Paul wrote, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Yes, praise God, Paul will talk about, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Christ dying for the elect, Christ dying for the church, you know, the whole entity, all the, all the, all the redeemed. But he, it was personal for, for Paul, too. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I encourage you to go read Isaiah 53 sometime. You know, the prophecy that's written hundreds of years before Christ died on the cross, but, but is fulfilled by Christ. And in it, you, it, it talks about how, he, yes, he's suffering. It's, it's the Lord's will to crush him. He's being pierced for our transgressions. But in the process of doing that, he's, he's seeing and, and, and knowing and realizing what this... Um, what his sacrifice is accomplishing. He's seeing his posterity. He's seeing those who would believe in him. He loved you. He loves you. 
He gave himself up for you. Let that truth sink in. I wanted to read a quote from the, the Gospel Primer. I've mentioned this. This is just the, a, uh, a section of the, there's a bigger book, but this is just a section of it, and I'm going to read from that. Uh, I have, there's a stack of these on the back table. I encourage you to, to grab one if you haven't already in, in months past. Here's a quote from the Gospel Primer. God loved me so much that he was willing to suffer the loss of his son. And even more amazingly, he was willing to allow his son to suffer the loss of him at the cross. So there the author is focusing on the love of the father for us who are in Christ. And then he goes on to say, Jesus, the son, loved me so much that he was willing to lay down his life for me. No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. Don't you love just simple statements that are, that are profound, right? No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. May that always ring in our, in our hearts and minds, right? When we, when we face trials, when we face suffering, when we see uh, things that would take, threaten to take away hope, when we see evil and experience evil, again, Satan will, will try to twist that in some way and get us to think God is not good. And that's not true. God is good. Satan is evil. God is loving. Sin is destructive. Always remember that. God loves you. No one could ever love you more or better than God has loved you in Christ. So the person is Jesus, the action is died, and the recipients is for us. Right? Christ died for us. Who are the us? <laughs> Again, I, I mentioned earlier, it's, it's those who are in Christ, those who by faith are united to Christ. They've repented of their sins by God's grace and, and trusted in Christ alone. But notice how the verse talks about the us. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the us are sinners. Because in that moment in time, we hadn't come to Christ yet. We were sinners. Verse 6 says Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 10 says we, are, we were Christ's enemies. Describing how we are by nature before Christ saves us. So again, this just sticks. The point is, this highlights the love and grace of God. Jesus did not suffer and die for righteous people who deserved it. God did not forsake and curse his son for godly people who loved him already and were trying to serve him. That's not what happened. No, we were sinners. We were actively choosing to rebel against God. We were his enemies. We hated God. We did not want to submit to God. We wanted to be our own rulers. And you might be thinking, well, well see, I wasn't even around when, when Christ died. What, what do you mean? But this is who we are all by nature. There were people like that who were around when Christ died. This is who, how we were before the love of, and grace of God entered our 
lives through the new birth. So it is true. This is who we were. We were sinners. We were enemies. We were ungodly. We did not want to submit to God. We wanted to be our own rulers. We were not thanking God, Romans 1 says, or giving him praise. Instead, we were taking the very life and breath that God had given us, and we were using it to worship idols or to worship ourselves. We were using the life he gives us to commit cosmic treason against him. And yet this reality magnifies the the love of God. It highlights how big God's love is. Look at verse 6. Let's get the context. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he sets up, you know, just kind of a, I guess you'd say a contrast or whatever, an illustration, just to show how utterly unique this is. Verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Paul's saying it's rare, but it's possible that human nature might sacrifice for someone whom they had a favorable relationship with. A husband for a wife, a parent for a child, a soldier or a policeman for his country even. But God did way more than that. God gave up his son to die in order to save his enemies. Christ willingly died in order to save the ungodly. And so may may you meditate on that truth. And again, we're just scratching the surface. Uh, As we go through 1 Peter in the weeks to come, Lord willing, we'll, we'll see many more examples of How amazing his love is. But I hope this reminds you today. I hope it motivates you to meditate on these truths. But walk away today knowing if you are in Christ. If by God's grace Christ is your savior. You've trusted in him. God loves you. In fact, the Bible says before the foundation of the world, God had set his love on you in that, in that fact that he was choosing to save you at the proper time, Ephesians 1.4. And as we've seen, out of his great love at the proper time, God the Father sent his son to die for you. And Jesus, the son of God, willingly suffered and died in your place because he loves you. And again, at the proper time in God's providence, the Holy Spirit intersected your life with these truths and gave you the new birth because God loves you. God loves you. And again, believer, it is so important that you know and feel and and revel in the enormity of God's love for you. In fact, I I mentioned this in passing, I believe, earlier, but look at verse 5. This is it's so important that it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit That we know that God loves us. (laughs) Verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So one of the important ministries of the Holy Spirit, he's going to say this again in Romans 8, right? Is the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirit that we are loved children of God. (laughs) That we've been adopted, that he's saved us. 
that he loves us. And so just revel in this love. And I've been saying again and again, if you are in Christ, God loves you. God loves you. Know that God loves you. And there may be some here today who are not in Christ or don't know if they're in Christ. And I'm here to hold out the love of God to you as well and say, know the love of God. May God give you eyes to understand the love of Christ who sacrificed for sinners like you and me. May may God enable you to experience this love. It's not earned, it's freely given. And the Bible says we are just called to repent and believe. We are called to acknowledge that we need God's love, that we need God's salvation, that we cannot save ourselves, that there's nothing we can do to to make ourselves right with God, to earn his favor. No, we throw ourselves completely on his mercy, on his amazing love. God's love is not earned, it's freely given. God's love is not maintained. It will be yours forever through your union with Christ and faith. So the Bible says, turn from your sins and by faith embrace Christ as Savior and Lord today. And know the love of God in Christ Jesus. And again, loved ones, and when I say loved ones, by the way, I, I mean, yes, I love you as a as, uh, uh, brother in Christ, as a pastor. But when I say loved ones, I am trying to remind you that God loves you. That's who I'm really talking about, right? Loved ones. Loved ones, again, the application, I've said it many times, but it's abide in God's love, John 15. It's preach the gospel to yourselves, we have so many tools. I mean, obviously, the Word of God is, is the main thing, right? But whatever, whatever can help us preach the gospel to ourselves, preach the truths of Scripture to ourselves, a gospel primer or whatever, abide in God's love. This is not selfish, by the way, right? This is not, you, you know, it may, again, we may think, well, is this, is this uh, being man-centered to, to do this, right, to to meditate on how much God loves me? No, it's not, because it's not exalting us. We're not saying we deserve it, right? We know we don't. And so the more we grasp the enormity of God's love for us, and in doing that, we know we don't deserve it, that just highlights His grace, that highlights His love. Again, Unbelievers can love those who love them back. Unbelievers can love people who they're going to do something for them. But we know that's not what God's love was. It was for the undeserving. It was for those who didn't have anything to offer. It was for those, right? So this, high, this glorifies God. And like I said, from it then flows the Christian life. And... Like the prayer in Ephesians 3 says, he prays that we would grasp the, the, the dimensions of God's love, but then he says, but it's beyond comprehension, right? It's beyond knowledge. And so that's great. 
That means we're never going to run out of things to explore. And that's why all these songs uh, use the metaphor of the ocean, right? I've never gone scuba diving. Maybe some of you have. I've gone snorkeling. Which, you know, isn't going very deep, right? (laughs) But you know what it's like maybe if you've snorkeled to, you know, you're kind of exploring a certain area and, oh, there's some coral and there's these different fish and blah, blah, blah. And and then you kind of go around a bend and it's like, wow, maybe the, maybe the ocean or the, the sea, uh, what do I want to say, the sand, the, the, the seashore there drops off, right? And you've got, whoa, now I've got a whole new area to explore I hadn't explored before. This is great. That's how it is with God's love. We'll never measure out all the dimensions of God's love. Like I said, that's in the songs we're singing today. It's in a song we sing often before the throne of God above. Here's verse 4. I bow before the cross of Christ and marvel at this love divine. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. It's a different type of love. It's a divine love. I bow before the cross of Christ and marvel at this love divine. God's perfect Son was sacrificed To make me righteous in God's eyes. This river's depths I cannot know. But I can glory in its flood. That's a lifelong pursuit. The Lord Most High has bowed down low and poured on me his glorious love. Oh, as we glory in the flood of God's love It will fuel our love for him, our love for others. It will help us to trust him. We'll know that God will will rehearse the gospel promises that God will never stop loving us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.39 As we face trials, as we face even discipline from the Father, We'll know it's done in love, that that's God's loving discipline. The father who loves his son disciplines him that he may learn and grow in holiness. We'll remember Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see how that will help you trust God? You're going through a trial and you don't know when it's going to end and you don't like the trial. You're, you're suffering the loss of, of, of seasons changing and circumstances changing and, it, and it, it feel, there's a loss there. But you'll say, God, you are enough. You gave up your own son. You, you've already given me the best. You, you've given me what... My soul desperately needed salvation. You're going to give me what I need to get through today. And then tomorrow I'm going to, I'm going to meditate on your love again. And your mercies are new. And you're going to give me what I need to get through tomorrow. And on and on. Right? Let's pray. This is my prayer for us all. Father, again, this, we know this is a work of your spirit. That's why Paul prayed. But he shared what he was praying with the church. In, in your kindness, we have that recorded for us that we may know that this
to pursue this ourselves as well. And so, Father, I pray that you will glorify your name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are amazed at your great love for us. There is no one who loves like you do. Please help us to abide in your love. It is an ocean. And yet, so often, as C.S. Lewis said, I believe it was, so often we play in the mud pies. We're too easily, we too easily settle. We're too easily distracted. Oh, draw us again and again to the ocean of your love. Help us increasingly grasp how big your love is so that we will trust you and enjoy you to the glory of your name. And if any are listening today who do not know this love, I pray you will open their eyes today by the regenerating work of your spirit that they would see the greatness of your love in the saving sacrifice of Christ. Draw them to you in repentance and faith that they may experience your love. We ask all these things in the name of our loving Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Will you stand, please, and we'll close with a final song of praise and a song to, to glory in and encourage each other in the love of God.